If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Matthew chapter 4. What a really good weekend with your students. It's good to be here myself. Um, thankful for Brett Perkins and the band as they led worship. Can we just let them know how much we appreciate them? As I said at the 940 service, it's really hard to walk into this room wearing hair product and skinny jeans and, and do what you do. Preaching so much easier. The only skinny jeans I could ever wear are maternity pants. <laughs> My name is Chad Poe. I'm from originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I currently live south of Houston, Texas in a place called Lake Jackson. Uh, God has sent my family and myself there. I'm the teaching pastor at a church, and it's been a really good time for us. We've been there since mid-March, so I have no idea as to what I'm doing, and we're continually figuring it out. I've spent the last 12 to 13 years traveling around, speaking to students very much like yours, and God still gives me lots of opportunities to do that. Uh, so I want you to know that I'm kind of in the boat with many of you in that it is that time of year where I'm just now getting over Christmas. If you are still in the mode of getting over Christmas, could you raise your hand right now? Okay, and I know that in the state of Alabama, you just went through a football game the other night, so you're still processing that, right? Whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm working through it myself. Uh, I'm a Tennessee fan, and I'll probably get booed, and I'm okay with that. Uh, there's no reason to boo us. I would, you're kicking us while we're down. We've not been up in a long time. <laughs> but we're getting over Christmas. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the, how it works, Christmas starts around July at CVS and Walgreens. <laughs> and you're moving towards this major event. For me, Christmas means one of two things, uh, or uh, just a couple of things. One is I will get to finally drink eggnog. I'm not sure how you feel about eggnog. You either feel the way that I do, that it's a nectar from the Lord, or you're wrong. Um, <laughs> the other, uh, you, you notice that people just begin to do weird things with food. We dip rich crackers in chocolate only during the Christmas season. We make our candy very creatively only during the Christmas season. And then we try to peppermint everything. Peppermint pork butt. It's a very strange thing. So... Uh, we move to this season and things begin to happen. Uh, and then on December the 25th, mid-afternoon, you breathe a deep sigh of relief. Because everything has built to this. You've decorated like a Griswold. Everything has been worked through. But now, it, this event that is Christmas... It's coming to its conclusion. But the spirit behind the event is alive and well. We'll celebrate Christmas the next year. We'll be carried into Christmas by this truth that we believe that God sent his son as a baby in a manger for us. An event and the reason behind it. Churches do events. As I look around this place, I would imagine you guys do events really well. This student ministry does events well. I would think you guys do events 
really well. You don't only do events well, you do things well. You have uh, ministries to X, Y, and Z. You have an incredible choir. I know, I've researched. It is an incredible place to be. Full of events and people to make events happen. So, what are we supposed to ask ourselves? And that question would be, what is the spirit behind said event? What is the why for us as to why the church exists? Why the fall festival happens? Why a choir happens? Why a student ministry is here? And I believe as we look through Scripture, Jesus is very clear to us that his goal for us as believers is to make disciples. And if those things exist in and unto themselves without discipleship in mind, then they can become things that fraction, that fracture us and our structure. What is the reason for which the church exists? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, you go and you make disciples of all nations. Teaching and preaching everything that I've commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And we see some very unique stories in there, like Judah and Tamar. We get to Matthew chapter 3. We have a man by the name of John the Baptist preaching and teaching this consistent message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Or your translation may even read, the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself has a duel with the devil. And after Jesus meets with the devil, he deals with the idea that Satan wanted to establish a kingdom where Jesus would be satisfied by the things of this world. And Jesus continually redirects to God the Father's hope. And in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, we see Jesus begin to preach and teach. And in 17, it's, he says this, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same consistent message that John has been preaching. And then we begin to see the method by which Jesus will communicate this. As he begins to call people to follow him. And my friend quoted this just a few moments ago. But let's look together in Matthew 4 verse 18. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed Jesus. So Jesus is calling people to himself. And as we read through the Bible, we will see that Jesus spends a much time with these men. 
Jesus would invest in them from this point forward. So help me out. If you believe, so let's just think through discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. If you believe that Jesus spent at least 50% of his time. Now I know we've got some Bible scholars in the room. If you believe that Jesus spent at least 50% of his time with the disciples, could you raise your hand? 60% of his time with the disciples. 70, 80. We're not sure. But as we read through the Gospels, there is a very large portion of his time that he spends with them. And if Jesus is going to spend so much time developing disciples, investing in people for the sake of discipleship, caring for people with discipleship as his end goal, investing so that people could follow him, why would we as the church choose to use any of our resources, any of our time, any of our talents, any of our treasures for anything different than the very message with which Jesus has sent us? We look to this passage and we see that Jesus is calling people to follow him, to change things. Following Jesus. You see that in the passage. That these men were going to follow after Jesus because he says to them, come follow me. You'll notice that he does not say, come love me, though love is part of discipleship. It's part of following Jesus. Why would we not use, why would he choose this word rather than love me? He will even use it later with Peter. I've got four kids at my house. That's why I'm here. (laughs) And we have a two and a half year old named Alder. He's named after a tree. And Alder is the most loving of our children At least it's a race between him and the seven-year-old. And he will consistently tell you he loves you. He will always try, also try to manipulate you at bedtime by saying, need to go kiss mama. Of course you do. Go to bed. But Alder regularly says to you, daddy, I wub you. So he wubs me. Which sounds more like a massage therapist than a child. I wub you, daddy. So he claims to willy, willy wub me. But there are times with this two and a half year old where I need him to do things. Let's get dressed. Let's potty train. We've been doing it for, since before you were born. <laughs> and his response, no. The active, exa- the active picture that we see of loving Jesus is following him. Follow me. So if we're giving a working definition of discipleship, using words that I would imagine you would throw out, just for the sake of the clarity from this passage, if you're a note taker, feel free to write these down. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus because they have been changed by Jesus. And have committed their lives to fulfilling his mission. One more time for those in the back. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Because they have been changed by Jesus. 
And they have committed their lives to fulfilling his mission. Follow me. And then we see this happen. And I will make you fishers of men. Jesus takes where they are and redefines their purpose by using that. This was their identity. So much so that when Jesus died, what do we find the disciples returning to? They were fishing. These men had nothing else to do besides fish. That was everything for them. And it was the way that they provided for their families. Because if you lived in the world of Jesus, being a fisherman was a position by which you could care for your family and have some resources left over. Because you can always sell fish in large cities. So Jesus is asking them to leave that by which they care for those they love. Not only is that the way they care for them, it is their identity. We see that with the latter pair of brothers who are the sons of Zebedee. As they sit there mending nets with their father, he calls them and they leave their dad sitting by himself. Jesus calls us and changes us from people who are Fishermen to fishers oven. He calls us from where we are to something that is unique that still uses things that we understand. Jesus changes. Now, change is a, a, an important thing for us to wrestle with. First and foremost, because there's two sides of this coin. The first side of the coin is that Jesus changes you eternally. So for those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, you placed your faith in Jesus. And what takes place when we do that is that we offer Jesus our sin and he gives us his life in return. Jesus, you take my sin, which leads to death. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give you, you're going to give me your life. My hope is in you. That's the message of the gospel as we read through the Bible. There's another side to the coin. The other side of the coin is this, that Jesus would make me and you more like him in a continual process of change. He changes us and he continues to change us. I will make you fishers of men. My my wife and I married, I was 30 years old and uh, we have our, our first child, and what by we, I mean she. I just stood there. And uh, that was a, a huge eye-opening thing for me. I was the last of my friends to have children. All of them had had children before me. And I remember the first time that I laid eyes on a child who belonged to another friend of mine, and I thought, this is super weird because you have to care for this creature Forever. And this kid was cute, like sweet, precious. She was a doll. The thing was, she was kind of a bobblehead doll. This kid had the biggest head of any child I'd ever laid eyes on. The mom takes her child to the doctor, not because of her large cranium, but because that's what you do with babies at all times. You always take them to the doctor. And the doctor sees said baby and says, hey, she's kind of got a big head. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate your bedside manner. 
He said, let me get a second opinion. Brings his nurse in the room. And she says, that is a very big-headed baby. She said, let me measure the child's head. So they measure the baby's head with a yardstick or whatever you measure your large-headed children with. Come to find out, this child was in the top 10 percentile of big-headed babies globally. I mean, baboosh. The mom is nervous and the nurse begins to try to console her and she leans in and she says, oh, honey, it's okay. And she tries to console her with this phrase, you've got a big head too. (laughs) Now we all know what she was trying to say. She's yours and she's going to become more like you. Jesus, as he changes us, it is for the intent of us becoming more like him. First John actually says this, that, you would, that we would become more like him because we would see him as he is. How many of you remember the day that you gave your life to Jesus? And if we're asking hard questions, how many of you are more like Jesus today than you were on that day? How many of us are more like Jesus than we were last week? How much of the way that we live echoes what are the teachings of Jesus? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus because they've been changed by Jesus. To be changed by him. And to commit our lives to fulfilling his mission. You'll notice that here in the passage as you... Jesus says, we even read, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat. And again, we see this, they were mending their nets. Immediately they left their boats and they followed him. They left their boat and their father and they followed Jesus. They were going to pursue Jesus, to chase after Jesus, to allow Jesus to be the one who guides them. You have more than likely heard of a company called Apple, small upstart. Steve Jobs started Apple in 1983. He had previously worked for the man who created Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. Side note. Anybody listen to how I built this? That's where I learned that information. So he uh, is going to start his own company. He needs a CEO to run the company. Goes to a man by the name of John Scully. John Scully, at that time in his life, worked for Pepsi. Now, because I live in Texas, I have to explain to you how Texans understand Pepsi. They only know Pepsi as the group of people who bottle Dr. Pepper. So, Pepsi is where he works. Really good job, sound job, great job. Jobs comes to him over and over, and he keeps telling him, no, 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 no. I will not work for you, Steve Jobs. And eventually, Jobs approaches him with a question. Hey, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want to change the world? 
Jesus calls the disciples to follow him, changes them, and they commit themselves to him for the sake of changing the world. The message of our faith is that we are followers of Jesus who want other people to follow Jesus. What's your investment in your neighbor look like? Not the one you like, but the one that you have a hard time with. What energy are we pouring into those who are far from Jesus? How do we view the resources that God has given us for the sake of the name of Jesus? Because commitment is also an active concept. Follow me because you've been changed by me and you've committed your life to fulfilling my mission. That's the call of Jesus on the disciples and that's a call of Jesus that extends to every person in this room who God has breathed life into. Follow me because you've been changed by me. And commit your life to fulfilling my mission. Lean in. And relentlessly pursue a God who has relentlessly pursued you. Would you do this with me this morning? Won't you just stand there with me? Bow your heads. Your pastors are going to be at the front of the room to receive you. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you are at the part of this story where Jesus is saying, come follow me. That's honestly what the text is saying to you. Follow me. Follow me so I can change you. And if you've never trusted in Christ, then these men would love to share with you about what that means and what the Bible says about it. Secondly, Maybe you're here and you are a believer, but when you look at your own life, you don't see discipleship investment. You see yourself sitting in for studies and going to events, and Jesus entertains you. But that's not being put into the practice by which it's designed, for which it's designed. So Jesus, you would maybe say to Jesus, Jesus... I want to line up with this mission that you have for me as a believer. I want to be fulfilled by you as I fulfill your mission. Come follow me. I'll change you. And you commit yourselves to fulfilling my mission. I'm going to pray for us. You feel free to come to the front and pray with our pastors if you need to. Jesus, you are so good to us. We thank you for the word that you have shown us today from this story of men who have given their lives. Three of which who would die brutal deaths. The other who would be exiled to an island. Because the mission of Jesus was worth it. Because they followed you. And even though they struggled like many of us struggle 
God, they, they were changed by you. And that kept them moving. So, Lord, I pray that keeps us moving. Followers, because we've been changed by you and committed ourselves to fulfilling your mission. As we see, as your word tells us to make disciples of all nations. Let us see that in the faces of our neighbors. Let us see that to the ends of the earth. We ask all of this in your powerful name. And everyone says...